Welcome back to Death Watch's Call of Cthulhu campaign, Descent into Darkness, Season 2. I am Travis, and I will be your keeper today. Last time, Monroe and Professor Mueller had a philosophical debate about whether it was better to go on to some existence after death or vanish into nothingness, and it came to a stalemate. And I believe you you guys have since parted ways or are about to part ways. I thought we were going to dinner. You had finished your dinner. We had finished dinner and I was heading to uh, a recent uh, boarding house. Meanwhile, um, Dr. Andrews had been digging into the term Latakia and had discovered that it referenced a type of tobacco. And I believe you, Mr. Whitmire, were heading off to try to get that locket fixed or some fake version of it made is that correct that's correct so before we get back into it we'll give you guys a chance to introduce yourself your character and your current state of mind beginning with you chris hi i'm chris i'm playing johan muller uh but i don't think uh johan has too much going on right now it's probably a confused jumble <laughs> Oh, I'm Brandon playing Dr. Wallace Andrews, and right now, currently uh, extremely focused and excited uh, on the hunt of this mystery, trying to figure out what Latakia is and means and how we can use it to help Charlie. And I am Justin playing Lance Monroe. I'm currently trying to continue our investigation, uh, destroy the Corbett dagger so he can't possess anyone. And I'm very concerned about Johan's mental state. I'm John playing, uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm John playing, uh, Jimmy Whitmire. He's, uh, planning on trying to scam this, uh, what was his name? Mr. Blackman. Yes, that's correct. Because that's it. So I'm gonna oh. <laughs> try and scam him and figure out where he belongs to. All right, so we'll begin today with the Boston crew, beginning with Dr. Andrews. You've just found a nearby tobacconist. The name of the shop is Clayton's, and, you know, it's only a short walk to get there from the Boston Public Library where you had discovered this information about Latakia. So is that what you're going to do, or are you going to head on to a different thing? No, I've taken a short walk to get to this tobacconist, right? Yes. That's, yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and see what I can find out about Latakia as it pertains to tobacco. So Clayton's is uh, inside a narrow shop that looks to be in the lower level of a, a larger building, maybe an apartment building of some kind. 
And when you go inside, it has a dim interior that seems smoky, even if it actually isn't literally smoky somehow. And it's loaded with various types of pipe tobaccos, some in tins and pouches and others to be sold in bulk. There's also a section of the store that acts as a small workshop where you see well-sorted stock of different materials used to make pipes. And on the work table is a half-finished pipe sitting next to a hand drill. And you have a guy, short fellow with an apron. He has a wiry mustache and beard, and he has longish hair, and it's sort of held back at the back of his neck with a ponytail. And he looks up as a bell jingles when you open the door. Go ahead and give me an appearance or credit rating, Dr. Andrews. Okay. Do credit rating. Let's let the money talk. <laughs> Dude, how did you not get mugged on the way over? Do I get to uh, <laughs> automatically try and raise that now? No, we're, lo- we're looking for criticals. Plus, I think that's with, uh, what do you call it, characteristics, your mm-hmm. stats. But that is an extreme success. So this gentleman takes in, he has an unhappy look on his face, but he takes in the quality of your clothes and uh, assumes that you must be a gentleman who knows what he's about, not just some wanderer off the street looking for cigarettes or cigars, Mm -hmm. but a a probable pipe smoker, no doubt. And uh, he greets you and he's like, "Uh, what can I do for you today? Hello, sir. I am... Dr. Wallace Andrews, it's a pleasure to meet you. I got your name from someone who said that you're a man who knows about tobacco. Oh, that's, yes, a, a little bit. So uh, if, I, if I admit to you that I've never given much thought to the pipes I use or the tobaccos I fill them with, hopefully you'll not think too little of me. And as a um, man of polite society and not not poor. I'd like for the pipe I use and the tobacco I use to better reflect my stature, if you know what I mean. So I've come to avail upon your knowledge. You know, if a man wanted to be taken seriously as a gentleman and a man of high station, what sort of pipe should I walk out of here with and what sort of tobacco should I consume? Well, that uh, you see all depends on what you'd normally smoke. Yeah, so I'll just tell him, like, whatever my companions normally put in their pipes, you know. Oh, okay. Like, uh, you know, whatever comes in a cloth pouch from the, di- the dime store or whatever. You know? All right, we'll give you a, let's get a luck roll. Let's see if this term enrages him or not, whatever you come <laughs> up with. Pure nerdery. Well, yeah, I think back in this era, like over-the-counter pipe tobacco probably wasn't too frowned on like it is in the modern era with a bunch of hipsters. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a success there. Okay. Yeah. So um, you happen to pick uh, an English blend, which you, you can see lights his face up. It makes him pleased. He he says, oh, well, that's that's not a bad choice. But what I would recommend, and he goes back and he pulls down you know, some, some tin and he starts giving you all the, the basics of it. And he's, he says, what I want you to do is when you take this out of here, I want you to spend a week with it because you might not like it at first, but you need to think on it, you know, enjoy the room note, uh, let, let it go over your palate. Cause I'm not like some other tobacconist who's going to give you something that smells good, but it's going to scorch your mouth and you won't be able to smoke again for a week. 
Oh, thank you very much. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, what about a good pipe to smoke it in? Well, you can. Uh, I can if you have something specific. You, I can make it for you. But I also have a, a stock you can take a look at. I would like a nice pipe that looks nice but is not ostentatious. Okay. Well, he'll uh, he'll pull out some of his clay ones that he's made for you to take it, and uh, they're not. They don't have like ridiculous designs on them. Like there's not a wizard for the bowl or anything like that. They're just you know, different stem lengths and, and shapes and whatnot. And um, he says, you know, I forgot to ask if you were a married man, because that might change the answer or or if you're going to be smoking around people who aren't smoking. I am not married. And uh, generally, if I would be smoking, I would be around others who also smoke. Well, I think that the tobacco I've recommended will fit well with you. But if you find yourself in mixed company, I also have some some tobaccos I could recommend that have a very gentle casing to them. It's not going to disrupt the flavor that you experience too much. But at the same time, the people around you will enjoy the aroma or the room note. Excellent. So I'll take some of that as well then. I really appreciate your help with this, sir. And, you know, now that I'm here, I also did have a question as I was looking into this and as a doctor, I'm used to doing a lot of research, perhaps too much research, but I came across a term for a specific type of tobacco, or perhaps an origination of a specific type of tobacco called Latakia. And uh, generally, people don't seem to know what I'm talking about, but they recommended that I come to you with that term and see if you could explain that to me. Ah, yes, Latakia. Well, you see, it's a sun-dried, smoke-cured tobacco uh, produced in Latakia, or Syria, in Syria. The apocryphal story of its creation is that the tobacco farmers there had an abundance of tobacco one year, and they stored the excess in their rafters. And, you know, you see back in those days, they burned predominantly with wood, and that smoke just aged the tobacco over a period of months. And you might think of Latakia as pre-smoked tobacco. You see a lot of the sugars are broken down and it makes for a mild, cool smoke in the proper blend, keeps it from burning your mouth. I see. It has a characteristic wood smoke aroma uh, with, I would say, floral sweet undertones. However, my wife will not describe the aroma so favorably. Now, most pipe tobacco blends use Latakia as a condiment i.e. a smaller percentage in the blend, to add to the complexity and help control the burn. And English tobacco is defined by Latakia. You see, the imperial domain allowed them access to the leaf, whereas other states cannot so easily source the tobacco. I would not consider it an English blend myself unless Latakia were the dominant note. I see. Does that answer your question? Is it rare? Over here in Boston? No, I, I should I should think not. It it can be difficult for American tobacco companies to obtain it. As I said, mm-hmm. the English have their thumb on it. The French a little bit too, but predominantly the English have been uh, known for its use. Now, uh, Americans will will sometimes claim that theirs has Latakia in it, but really it's a lesser Oriental blend. Doesn't have the same quality to it. Um. So. Forgive my ignorance, but I wonder if, if, if one were looking at a assortment of blends, is there any 
anything about the look of it that is that would distinguish it from other tobaccos to an untrained eye. Well, here, let's open that tin that I that I recommended to you. So he cracks it open, and you have, you know, multicolored. He gave you a ribbon-cut version of it, so there, it's sort of, uh, you see different shades of tobacco leaf in there. And he kind of points at some darker flecks in the tobacco, and he says, this is the Latakia. Now, there are other tobaccos that are also dark, but in this particular blend, this is the Latakia leaf. I see. Mm, grave sin has been committed. <laughs> Gotta take a whiff of that tin note the second you crack it. <laughs> oh, he does, or, or Andrews does. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, I would say Andrews if he's... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, you got to take a whiff of that tin note. That's when it's at its peak. Yeah, he looks over his left shoulder and he's like, I know, I know, this is my store now, remember? <laughs> and he holds the tin up and he's like, see, you can smell it. <laughs> uh, and uh, unburned, even despite where he said his wife defines the Lataki unpleasant, unburned, it's still pleasant, uh, a pleasant aroma too. There's a touch of of like oak barrel or whiskey you think in there too i see okay excellent well i appreciate you um should win an award for customer service and i shall <laughs> tell everyone i know who smokes to come here no nope. you there no nope. i'll not have any cigarette smokers or cigar smokers come to my shop as you can see i do not sell that here oh i see <laughs> so i'll look him dead in the eye and pull down my sunglasses and I'll light up a cigarette <laughs> and I'll flick it in his face. No, I'll, uh, no, of course, I only mean pipe smokers who I'll send here, not cigarette smokers or cigar smokers. Although I do recommend as a doctor that you smoke cigarettes regularly as it will keep insects out of your lung. <laughs> What's the uh, doctor's preferred brand? Uh, well, obviously, like Lucky Strikes. Lucky strikes yeah. <laughs> Something without a filter if you want to be a man. Um, so now let me think for a second. Now, as the keeper, can you remind me why I can't? Okay. So this is what Lataki is what Charlie wrote in gravy on the journal, right? Yeah. Um, so now I know I can basically tell what it looks like and mostly it's used in blends, right? Yeah. Most, well, if you ask them, uh, like would anybody smoke this? By itself. Purely. Yeah. I'm sure there's people who are crazy enough to do it, but... And what would happen if they did? Nothing. It's just... It's... Expensive? It, well, it's it would be strong all by itself. I see. Yeah. Like if uh, a blend commonly has more Latakia than the other tobaccos in it, it's usually called a lap bomb. And that's... It might be higher in nicotine. It might not, but it's usually going to be overpowering in room note. I You're going you. to... It's going to... Some people like... Uh, think Latakia smells like a tire fire before it's even lit up. I see. Okay. <laughs> Others find it like a pleasant wood smoke, but it's a strong or even dominant room note if the higher the or the more amount you get. I see. Okay. Yeah, and if you um if you're when you're going through those questions, one of the things he corrects you on a lot is the terminology too. So if you if you asked about the smell, you'd be like, oh, that's the room note, that sort of thing. So but yeah, he says that he doesn't sell any any blends like that yeah. here. But like a good example of like what a English blend can smell like, depending on if there's like Orientals or whatever other types of tobacco they put in there, it's kind of like that stick incense. I see. 
where it kind of has a, you kind of are smelling the wood burning from the stick itself. And then the incense on it kind of has sort of like a sweet kind of smell to it. Maybe sometimes like a pungent or sour smell can be in there too. So, yeah. Um, what was this guy's name again? Uh, Clayton of Clayton's. <clears throat> I feel like we need to like turn that section into like a PSA <laughs> on tobacco. Tobacco. Yeah. Oh. Now Clayton, he's like, now I don't advise anybody to smoke. No. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, kids? Smoking's bad. Well, we'll pause there with you, Dr. Andrews, and let you ruminate on what you've learned and head over to old slick Jimmy Whitmire <laughs> as he's on the street trying to find somebody to either repair or make a facsimile of the locket he has. Now, I don't need a roll, Mr. Whitmire, to find a jeweler. That's pretty easy in a place like Boston, unless you had some specific way you wanted to do it in mind. Uh, no, no specific way. I uh, mainly, uh, yeah, take that around, um, you know, concoct some story that, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, my great-grandmother's or something, and, you know, a horrible accident happened, and I'm trying to get it to get a, a as close to like version of it as possible uh built do you have any contacts that are like antique counterfeiters that's possible well if you just stroll into um the nearest jeweler you come across you can, uh the person there introduces themselves as mr simon and when you show him the locket he says he could repair it meaning he could attach the chain and and you know reset the hinge by tomorrow, although it will still look like it's taken a beating, if you wanted it to be refurbished with the same materials, it might take a week. I don't know if I'll be able to keep it all. And if you're just looking for a new locket in this style, it would take longer than that. I do have a bit of a workload. Well, um, let's have you repair it for right now. And when I see what it's like repaired, then... Uh then we'll make that determination. All right, uh, re if I'm saying that one right. Basically, second option. Oh, okay. Where he's going to try to get some of the dents and stuff yeah, out of it. Yeah, don't, don't replace okay. any material um, if you can help it. I'll contact you first if I feel like that's necessary. Uh, and he gets out a, a slip of paper and he writes a receipt for you to keep on you so you know, okay. or he knows who it belongs to. And... Um, he says, do you have a contact or a place I can um, telegram you when it's ready? Um, I will give him, so I'm going to give him two. Uh, I'll give him the, the. Uh, damn it, I can't remember what the name of that one is. The uh, Society of the Unexplained. Have the Hermetic Order. Is it the Society of the, uh, the SEU. Yeah, SEU. And okay. then also the I'll give him the unknown. Uh, Lance Monroe's information. <laughs> like to All to his uh, <laughs> to his uh, workshop. Curioso, yeah, oh, okay. or curioso. He says, "All right, as soon as I I have it, or if I decide that it's gonna, I'm gonna have to add some new material to it. I'll get in touch with you. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Thank you. By the way, Brandon, your pipe and tobacco was ten bucks. That might be absorbed by your daily spending. Wow. Okay. All right, back on the street, Mister Whitmire. What's your next move? So, hmm. I'd like to to see. Actually, I'll. Uh, I'm gonna go try and find uh, Monroe 
So I'll go over to his house well, and then I'll go over to his uh, Curioso. Okay. Yeah, he's not at either of those places. I mean, you did know that he left for Arkham this morning. So you're not sure when he'll be expected back. Okay. Not saying he was looking for Monroe is just a cover. He's looking to steal. <laughs> just looking for stuff. So how hard would it be to, to uh, well, I guess it shouldn't be too difficult. Was, uh, I want to go check out this uh, the lawyer that signed that check. Oh, right, right. Uh, Frank Bellin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, I mean, there are public records. You could pull like his license to practice law, that sort of stuff, or you could do some newspaper searches. So I'll do, uh, try to look through newspaper. As I want to see okay. how often he's associated with uh, Francis Walsh. All right. So Boston Public Library is the place to be if you want old copies of articles. So go ahead and give me a used library roll. Hmm. Hard success. Congratulations. So you find um, the report itself doesn't really have much information. Only it just mentions Frank Bellencamp as representing, you know, somebody who's in some trouble. But he belongs to a law firm called, or he's a partner at a law firm called Boosk and Realm. Uh, further digging reveals that he has represented, as you go through all these articles, of the past, a rogues gallery of bootleggers and criminals. So here you see he's he's had clients such as Francis Sweetheart Walsh, your old boss, Patrick Malone, uh, Capper Joyce, Quinn Doyle, Sweeney Byrne, and others. Some of those names are familiar to you. In fact, Quinn Doyle and Sweeney Byrne, you know, were the guys that accosted Dr. Andrews on the trolley. Okay. So it seems like in, in his particular case, he is, he represents the criminal element exclusively almost um i like to to also do a search for um peter fallon that was the 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 partner that had gotten paid off right yeah 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 i'm gonna see if i can track him down uh, maybe through this lawyer we'll see if i need to go that way okay let's get another use library rule from you another hard success very nice dang Sorry, I didn't even realize that was a new one. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I was figuring that I would fail on this one, but I got. Uh, I'm worried for you now. Yeah, John. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, the next one that I roll is probably needs to be just a inconsequential skill. So there's not much in the way of uh, of Peter Fallon, at least not like pointing to his corruption or anything. But there is a note that. Uh, five years ago, his partner was killed in action by the, the criminal element of Charlestown, Boston, and they had no known suspects to pursue. But that's all you get on him. All right. Um, can I do a luck to see if I have any contacts in the Boston PD, other outside of Wayne Nichols and Logan Terry for whatever he's worth? No, let's not do luck. Let's... Law is an obvious one, but I'm trying to thank you because you've probably run into tons of policemen in your line of work. Let me take a look at your skills. Yeah, no, one, nothing's really jumping out that would give you the connection, but 
I suppose we could depend on fast talk, but we'll make it a hark, because that usually leaves uh, leaves the police you interact with out in the cold. So you can do law or your hard fast talk. Here comes a hundred. And those are your options. And of course, you, you do have a contact in the way of Logan Terry. Mm. He was trying to work with you. <laughs> oh. You, yeah, I'll use uh, two luck to get that. Okay. That said, I still stand by that you should always push. <laughs> <laughs> Pushing is more fun. All right. So, yeah, you know, he's a beat cop. You know, uh, a police officer by the name of Bryant Matthews. And I assume since you're used to work for Patrick Malone, your old stomping grounds were in the uh, South Boston part. So that would be the precinct he works in. Of course, it has been a couple of years since you talked to him. You said that was Patrick Matthews? Bryant Matthews. Can't get too many Patricks in here, even though it is Boston, and there probably would be a lot of Patricks. Okay. Something like this. All right. So I will see if I can uh, get a hold of uh, Bryant Matthews. Or I got to try to telegram him or ring the police station. Yeah, Or walk down there. uh, Right. I'm going to go, well, (laughs) it's probably a bad idea. I'm going to go and, and uh, walk through the old neighborhood and uh, see if I can <laughs> see him. Yeah, go ahead and give me a luck roll as you're walking around. Oh, <laughs> dude. Everything's turning up extreme oh, for you. Man. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be so bad when it goes sideways. Was, uh, I had well, as he was beat to cop, he... too, so. Oh, okay. You knew the neighborhood that he policed, um, so that was a likely first place to look. So, uh you see him out there swinging his old um, Billy Club Billy Club, while he's looking around. Uh, South Boston is a little bit more working class than, you know, the, the principal part of Boston. So he's kind of eyeing everything suspiciously, but it seems to be that he's keeping everything well ordered today. But he's not aware of you yet. All right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, stroll up to him and... Uh, hey, Officer Matthews, how you been? Huh? Jimmy? Is that uh, you? Yeah. Was, uh, I was wondering if uh, if I could, you know, buy uh, a hot dog over here. You running from anybody? Well, you know me. Always running from somebody. You just keep looking over your shoulder. Well, you know, last time I was uh, I was out here, you know, things got a little bit dicey with, uh, you know, old Malone there. And you never know when him and his boys are going to pop up. Yeah, he could be around any corner right now. But yeah, I'll take a hot dog. All right. So um, basically what, I, what I'm trying to get at here is uh, see if he knows or has heard of uh, anything happening with De- Detective Fallon or anybody that might um, that he could point me in the direction of. Um. So he doesn't know Fallon very well, but... Uh, the police, policemen have like a union and, uh, so they all sort of congregate, excuse me. They have like this place in a basement that has its private bar for police. Well, used to be a bar, probably still is a bar. And, you know, they have like, uh, billiards tables and what have you. And, uh, so he, he associates with a lot of different police from different, um, precincts. So he says, yeah, Peter Fallon, he's in a different precinct and plus he's detective so he's not going to give me the time of day unless you know he needs to talk to me in the course of his investigation 
But I know what the rest of us know. You know, he's about as straight as cops get in Boston, about as straight as me dealing with a guy like you. But uh, his partner got killed. A lot of people think it was Francis Walsh that killed his partner. I know Logan Terry's got it out for Francis Walsh because of that. <laughs> Why? You think he had something to do with it? Um, you know, maybe. But, uh, you know, I, I, I happen to come by uh, a check that was signed by uh, an attorney that represents Walsh, signed over to Fallon. So uh, I don't know what exactly what he's uh, getting himself into there, but sure would like to talk to him. Hey, you know what, Jimmy? It's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm going to leave, though. I remember why I don't hang around you too much. You have a good day. And he starts to get up and, and walk away from you once you, start. <laughs> <laughs> once you lay that out. Was, uh, yeah, I mean, that got, I think I've got uh, a starting point. So I'll, uh, I want to go and find that bar and uh, not go in, but hang around outside for a while. As, uh this will kind of be but the police. Yeah, kind of an off and on thing is uh see if I can either that or pay pay a kid to watch the bar for uh someone that fits the description of Fallon with instructions on okay. where to Which find Okay, which did you prefer? Um I'll watch it for a little bit as you never know when the old luck will kick in, but uh after a few hours I'll I'll probably uh find a kid if I don't see anything interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'll remind you, you still have an alliance with the Great Knights. Oh, that's right. The three the three kids you All met. right. That's a good idea. How <laughs> All right, far um, away is that bar uh, well, from that park the, or that church? So the, it, the bar, if you go to that, it takes you back to downtown Boston. So it's not far okay, from it at perfect. all. I think if you... Let me pull that map up for you guys so you can measure out distances and stuff. So, yeah, that portion of Boston is a couple thousand yards across, so it's pretty crammed in there, but also pretty close together, relatively speaking. But, yeah, we'll let you hang there doing your reconnaissance, and we'll jump over to Mr. Monroe. Okay. Mr. Monroe, with <clears throat> I think the last I got from you was you had taken Walter Corbett's journals. Yep. Um, and you were heading to a boarding house. And then I believe we went through what was in the journal. Yeah. yeah I'll refresh you there one sec. Yeah. And then, yeah, after the journal, I was just going to go to sleep. Yeah. So Zamansky's boarding house is, is where Johann Muller pointed out to you. That's a old Polish woman owns it. And she turns out she has a room on the second floor open that you can rent either at, at the month or night rate. It's $3 a night, though. I'll be doing it at the night. I don't expect to be here more than one. Yeah, and she very brusquely goes through when the meal times are. That's part of the boarding house as they have yeah. communal meals. You come down with the other people. So you've missed dinner. The next meal will be in the morning for breakfast. But uh, yeah, so with Walter Corbett's notes, you had gone through it. Um, but, you know, new experiences bring new meaning to old texts. And of interest, you you to a burgeoning cult leader such as yourself, <laughs> you uh, found those esoteric powers he described most fascinating. So to list those briefly, that was the initial right to contact the Dark Man or Our Lord Granter of Secrets, Evil Kant Venator, 
Well, you can give me a Latin roll on that, actually. You could have last time, too. I just missed it. I don't remember if I did or not. Uh, so with that regular success, you know that roughly translates to call the hunter. Okay. And that was what the, he called it the dark hunter. Yep. And uh, on that note, there's an entry here that I'll show to you. So this is from September the 6th, 1854 from Walter Corbett's journals. They are hunters that move across vast distances as we on earth might walk across the room. Perhaps they move across different phases of reality, or even all of time is laid out before them that they may travel to different points. I confess I do not know. They are alien and loathsome, and I have a sense of biting, as though they know all that is and all that shall ever be. In their insect-like gaze I see my ultimate end reflected at me. Also I understand what the beetle might feel, whence they fall under the gaze of man who may step over or crush with only seconds of regard, if that, for its existence. It is because of this that I am loath to summon them, although I have no doubt they could be of use. I have done so twice now, the first in the spring, in which I struggled in some ineffable way with the hunter, while a wind blew from the north carrying the smell of blooming lilac. The second was the following winter, in the basement, where only cold and earth fills the nose, and yet, when the hunter bowed its rugose head beneath the tear in the world, I did there smell the spring lilacs again. Hmm. Okay. Uh, there's also the Egyptian funerary rite of Nefren Ka. Now, I, I seem to remember um, when we were going over that last time that he had mentioned that even though it was thought to have come from Nefren Ka, that there was something that wasn't from Nefren Ka that was involved as well. Uh, yeah, he had that rigor vitae. Yeah, there. That's what. Yeah, it was. where it could protect him. Or it was supposed to stop the aging of the flesh, but he also saw a use in protecting himself from harm. Uh, there was also obey thy master's will, in which he turned Michael Thomas to his cause. But of those abilities, only the dark hunter or evocant venator are described, listed in a in a way you could learn. Okay. But yeah, you can see once you get into the actual spell part of summoning this dark hunter mm -hmm. it's very confusing and uh it would take a significant amount of time to study it to see if it actually worked okay. what we're talking about the in terms of weeks i'm more curious about the lord grantor of secret yeah you you think in the context he wrote those they all came from a tome called the liber ivanus liber ivanus now you are being a uh, miskatonic alumni there has always been a long rumor of the Miskatonic Library's restricted collection. Currently, the director of the library is Dr. Henry Armitage, uh, Professor Mueller's arch nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> so are you just going to finish out the night? Um, you still have time. The library, I believe, stays open until 8 p.m. You guys probably rolled out of your dinner by 6 yeah, yeah, it was probably an early, an actual yeah. dinner and not a supper. Yeah. I suppose I could go by. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, I guess going through his journal would take some time, wouldn't it? That's true. If you were, if you were going to find two, two comb through it. Yeah. I mean, you can also count this as a day in learning uh, the Evocant Venator spell. Yeah. Against the several weeks. Required. Yeah. yeah, we'll count that, and I'll I'll just consider that I 
I'd like really been diving into his journal. I'd already planned on going to the library tomorrow anyway. Okay, let me add that to your character sheet real quick. What was that other spell, the something Vitae? I'll spell it out for you. It's also Latin. It's a rough translation of uh, stiffness of life, although that's more of just a direct translation. Okay, so we'll leave you there and we'll uh, bounce over to Mr. Mueller. So you do have the De Vermis Mysterious. And Zatadu, yes. And it's always a... uh, Ever-present burden <laughs> that lingers at the edge of my mind. Yes. yes. <laughs> so are you going to peruse it a little little more tonight? Oh, probably, as I fear sleep. I will probably have to find some way to fill the hours. Yeah, that's true. So um, this has an autobiographical element to it, uh, the De Vermis Mysterious. It's, um, it tells a little bit. You are pleased to find it speaks a little bit about Ibon which you have learned is from the Liber Ivanus. And uh, it's a brief version of it, though, but it is wholly absorbing and fantastical. Uh, Ivan is said to have been a denizen of Hyperborea, which you know is a mythical land to the north from Greek mythology. That's just from your basic classical education. It's said he was the son of a king, and his family were worshippers of Sadoque, or Zagua. Mm but were exterminated by priests of a rival goddess. Uh, Ibon was spared when the warlock Zylak spirited him out of the city, and so began his apprenticeship. So there's a new entry from chapter one in your De Vermis Mysterious handout. Mm-hmm. So that chapter's title is Concerning Ascension. And uh, so from chapter one, this little tale sticks out to you. And the context is, this is when Ibon uh, climbed a mountain to where Sadoque or Zagua was his domain and sought to supplicate himself. So the servitor walked to where mighty Sadoque slept. The toad-like being moved not at all, although its eyes glimmered beneath heavy lids and there was a sensation of watching. Next to the dais, the basins containing the old one's formless guards roiled at the servitor's approach. Strands of midnight liquid seemed to reach out from the basins and stroke at the man's passage, stopping short of touching him. The servitor began chanting words said to please mighty Sadoque, Somnum manducare procriari. It was all for naught in the end, as with quickness as absolute as its stillness, Sadoque snatched the man into his mouth and ate him. The hollow snapping of bones rang in the chamber. I waited for the smacking of giant lips to end, and then made my own approach. I bowed my head and said the words, Somnum manducari procriari. I pushed the street urchin before me, my sacrifice to, my, to the might of Sadoque. Sadoque ate, and I received my blessing. I'll allow you a new Latin roll on, uh, on those terms. No. <laughs> okay. Let's see if John sapped all the luck out of this room. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Well, they're pretty basic, you know. You, you know, Somnum is probably sleep, mm-hmm. and then maybe you, as the player, could puzzle out what the other two are. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Manucare, procreare. Mm, maybe I don't know. I'm not too sure. Yeah, so we can that can stand in for uh, Professor Mueller's understanding of it. However, you are making a good when it comes to these mythos tomes all i needed was the one roll which you got a while back so you're able to go through it 
fairly freely. Uh, but that's all that pops out tonight. Okay. Uh, yeah, what time do I finish? Is it like the morning? Uh, not quite. Um, you've kind of gotten to that point where it's your mind wanders, hmm. maybe to the description on the transfer of the mind. You're thinking of the possibilities. But anything that distracts you is pulling you away. Hmm. You could try to force yourself past that phobia of sleeping if you want. But on the first night, it would uh, you'd have to succeed at an extreme power roll. To sleep? To sleep. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it right now. We'll wait till those penalties start stacking up. Okay. But, uh, yeah, like, I think I'll start packing for the trip back south, I believe. To Boston? Yeah. And uh, part of that is, at some point, I'll push the chair away from my desk where I prefer to sit. Okay. And I will remove one of the floorboards and pull out a uh, fairly cheaply made dagger that I hid there. Okay. Uh, about a year ago. All right. And uh, what, are you planning to travel with the, your book as well? As well as Corbett's dagger, yes. Okay. And I'll petition Corbett, not that he'll answer particularly, but I'll uh, at some point uh, say like, Volta Corbett, Herr Corbett, if you hear me and you are able to understand me, we are both coming up on a precipice uh, predicament. And I believe that we can be helpful to each other. I do not seek to destroy you, and please do not seek to destroy me, and perhaps together we can find some way to escape our potential fates. Yeah, you don't get a response of any kind, although as the sun begins to come up in the morning, you have just been getting this sense of not being alone. Mm -hmm. You know, like the place feels more occupied than it normally does. But he doesn't say anything, at least during the night. Um, so we'll leave you there with your packing and we'll jump back over to Dr. Andrews. So you still have some time left before you, you need to stick a pin in the day, fork in it, um, <clears throat> call it done. Um, I'll remind you, you do have like a couple of optional things you do. You, you were working your way through an occult tome. If you finish it, I think yours needed two or three weeks. And all I require for that is that if you get home at a reasonable time, then those hours before sleep, that reading counts as a day of study. Okay. So uh, that was held at the order library. That was the uh, Bremelin configuration. Was that one? No, that's the, it was a, what was it called? The book of a Bremelin. Yeah. A, a Bremelin or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but of course you could continue your investigation. Yeah. So I'll just ask this Clayton, one last question. If he knew um, Mr. Dooley, Robert Dooley, who, I, who owned, um, I, I forgot the name because it was long. It was like Dooley's. <laughs> that was just a joke. It was just Dooley's fine tobacco. Fine and, tobacco. I believe. Um, he says, no, I, I've not heard of the man. Well, if, um, what? sorry, one last question then. If If I came in to your shop to order tobacco and needed to order something special from Brickchester? Brechester, I think is the pronunciation. What would you think I was ordering as it relates to tobacco? Well, nothing specific comes off the top of my head. I would just think you were ordering some English tobacco that I don't have in stock. And since it is English tobacco, then it would have latakia in it most assuredly right i see okay 
Well, thank you very much. You've been an excellent help to me, and thank you for the pipe and the tobacco. Have a good day, sir. You as well. All right. So, yeah, at that point, then I'll get back home and start reading, and um, when I meet up with my companions next, I'll have to dig more into Customer X with the wrong shadow. So, as you're reading through there, give me an occult role. All right. Or, or it can be hard education. Okay, it's going to be a better chance for me. Not quite. Well, um, can you luck a re- book reading? Yeah, yeah, I'll spend luck to get that. Ten luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gets you a little bit further through that, so that puts you at two of twenty-one days. Okay. And you're also you also see as you're going through this that the author, this Abraham of Worms, is obsessed with. Um, a thing he calls a sator square or a rotus square. So I'll just post a little bit about that in there for you. So yeah, the um, you know from your education that the satar square or a rotus square is a two-dimensional word square containing a five-word Latin palindrome. Uh, it features in early Christian as well as in magical contexts. The earliest examples of the square dates from the ruins of Pompeii, which some scholars attribute to pre-Christian origins, such as Jewish or Mithraic. So yeah, it's this weird, um, in the modern context, it's taken on more of an occult meaning. This is something actually you went over in recent courses at the university this past, uh, where are we at? Fall, spring, spring, there we go. So yeah, you can see on the cover of that book, that's an example of it. Oh, I'm not, I'm not seeing. No, let me show it to you. There, uh, okay. So yeah, you see... Basically, it's a word that no matter which way you put it, it, it's a palindrome, right? Like, no matter which way you read it, it does it top to bottom, left to right, that sort of thing. I don't think it does it diagonally. It doesn't look like it does it. But that's how those work. And uh, you know from your Catholic times that there's a form of Orthodox Christianity where they do one with the cross. They 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 put certain terms in there important to Christianity. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that again? A sator or... Rotus. And in this Orthodox Christianity, uh, the terms sator, arepo, tenant, opera, rotus, mm-hmm. they say it was the names of each of the nails driven into Jesus. Oh, I but see. But they, uh, they don't really, you, you didn't get into it deep enough to elaborate on why they were named what those terms. But you know, those are all Latin terms. Now, what's your Latin? Uh, Yours is pretty high. Right? Yeah, I think it's 51. Um, so it's 50. So even without a role, you know, in the case of, say, the word sator, it could mean sower, planter, founder, progenitor, originator, okay. or cedar, that sort of stuff. So each one of those words would have its own Latin meaning. But yeah, the, this particular writer is just obsessed with them, and you see him everywhere. When he, when he starts to detail the, the powers that he learned from his visit from an angel, right, because it has its roots and in Christianity, uh, the ways in, in learning them are all in unlocking these satyr squares, right? Uh, and he talks about like this 11-month process uh, that you have to go through to truly unlock power. I see. But that's what you get for tonight. All right, Mr. Whitmire, you've been watching this police station for a while, and who are you hoping to catch going in here? Detective Fallon? You know, at least... The day before last, he was said to be out Salem Way pursuing leads on a separate case. 
this information was given to you by Detective Nichols. I'm sorry, he was where on a separate case? In Salem. Oh. It's about halfway between Boston and Arkham. Okay. As I had forgotten about that. Um, Actually, give me a stealth roll. <laughs> Dang. Oh, he can't keep getting away with <laughs> Sorry, this. <laughs> Another extreme success. Yeah, so you see, uh, you know, the round, somewhat angry face of Logan Terry uh, go down into this bar at some point. But you're able to duck behind a, a newspaper stand. And then he goes down into this basement. So do you want to hang here or see if you can get some kids to watch it for a yeah, little while? I'll, and it also is growing late in the day. I think I'll leave it for right now. If if I remembered that uh, he was out of town on another case, then I, I don't think there's going to be much good uh, hanging around here. Other than me eventually getting found out. All right. So what's your next move? I would like to try and find the uh, that retired officer. Can you share that board again? Yeah. Are James you talking Barrister. about James Barrister? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So you know, does he really have anything to do with this other than that he he raided the church? Well, while you're thinking about that, you do know that police report that Monroe had possession of by way of Rupert Merriweather was heavily redacted, and that was. Names of people that belong to the church. So if you're interested in following that line of inquiry, then that would be the, a guy to talk to. Okay. I mean, you do know that Warren Eddy said others had been, besides him and Walter Corbett, had been buried in the same fashion. So that might illuminate who those people were. Uh, he does live outside of Boston. It would be pretty late, like dark late by the time... You get there. Did you want to leave it for the morning or pursue it anyways? Yeah, we'll leave it for the morning. Okay. And I'll, I'll make my way over to the uh, SEU and then that Curioso, see if there were any telegrams that were left. So the SEU meets at Miskatonic Library in Arkham. So that's in a different city, but you can definitely go to Monroe's Curioso. Okay. And was it there that I sent the telegram saying that I had found Dr. Mueller... I'm not a doctor. Or Herr Mueller, and that he was unharmed. I don't know that you specified it. I think you of just sound said, body. You would send it there or wherever you had arranged to. Con we can make it up now. Where do you want to to be able to contact these guys? Well, I think we had kind of made my curioso okay. kind of the central hub because that's where Mueller sent the telegrams to us. And yeah, so yeah, so. Yeah, when you check in there, there is actually now, by now, a telegram from Mr. Monroe. Not a second telegram from Mr. Mueller. That one was done in a haze. Mm. He just wrote it in dirt in his <laughs> garden. <laughs> uh, anyhow, yeah, so there's, uh, what what was in the telegram? It was just stating that I had found Herr Mueller in Arkham and that he was physically okay. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's the only one you would expect there. You know that the lawyer, James Clark, was going to file discovery and they would have a list of evidence or witnesses that would be called for the trial of Charlie Murphy. But he will likely get in touch with you by the order with that information and that he probably doesn't have it yet. So that would be something to look into tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, then I'll uh, go, find a, go find a cheap hotel. 
Okay. Yeah, that's no problem. Should be absorbed by your daily spending limit. And the sun sets, and it's almost a new day. We just got to get a power roll from Mr. Monroe when he goes to sleep. Oh, what would this new date be? would be the right. 14th. Okay. June 14th. Ooh, a hard success. Dang, you got always <laughs> surprised by your power so high. This means one thing, one thing only. The unlucky one is going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have that dream, which you're rather surprised by because you had associated it with the toad statuette. Yeah. But now it's no longer in your possession. But here you are again, and you're having a lucid version of it, so you can okay. move around. But you, it's the same starting spot. You're some hundred yards from this burial mound. What are you going to do? Last time... Uh, Herr Mueller was in it with me and we'd gone pretty deep into, into the mound. So I'm going to rush to try and get back to where we were to, okay. that, to that room with the big mural. Um, and hopefully without, you know, stopping to investigate all the different runes and, and the gotcha. lichen and stuff like that, I can get there. So you, um, you rush across this field towards the burial mound down into the opening of the mound where you see a person in there. And you actually recognize them as the SEU secretary, Thaddeus Grunwald. And he's just standing there scratching his head, sort of looking around at all the smashed pottery. And there are other figurines in the style of Zagua, but they're they're more what you'd expect from Native American tribes. So, you know, like a man smoking a pipe or that sort of thing. Okay. But yeah, I'll be a little bit surprised to see Thaddeus there, but I'll, I'll bid that he follow me. And it's... And head deeper. Uh, where are we? I'll, I'll talk as we go. <laughs> you We're can, running out of time. I, I can guarantee that I will talk as I go. <laughs> but yeah, as we go, I'll, I'll uh, tell them everything that we've learned about this place, that it's somewhere in, in Oklahoma, uh, that it is uh, an ancient site of, of religion for Native Americans, but that it dates back even farther than that. And, you know, as we kind of rush through the, the areas that we've been. I'm most likely leading you to certain <laughs> death. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, this is very strange. I I don't know why I dream of such a place or why you would be in it. I guess your clothes made the intended impression. <laughs> but yeah, he's following behind you. You pass through the what you think of as the entry hall where that ambient light picks up the stuff that's emitted by the lichen, Justin. Lichen. Lichen. Not lichen. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Did I say lichen? No, I did. Oh. <laughs> but you gave me a weird look, so it stuck in my head, and I'm like, oh, what did I do wrong? This slight dates all the way back to him oh. correcting our conflagration. Con- <laughs> so, we, we <laughs> uh, so yeah, you see the beginnings of those bat-faced toad motifs in the walls. Um, the aclo scrawled there. You go deeper in where it becomes damp, and you have the stalactites and stalagmites, and... That slight dates back to Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> and there and there, you knew that uh, Professor Mueller was able to positively identify these carvings as far older than the, the understood age of mankind itself. And, yeah, you know, as we go, I'll say, yes, yes, we know that. <laughs> Just hold on to your hat. There's much more to discover. And then you have what you describe as the Hall of History, we could call it, where... It's that wide area with columns that maybe a procession could pass through where you saw in Tableau 
uh, arrangement, sort of the story of these serpent-like people as they were cast into the depths of the earth by early humans surrounding what looks to be like an ice age. But now you come to like a vertical descent where it's going to be tricky to navigate. Uh, the cavern floor is about 20 feet lower than the top of this part where it pitches down. Okay. Oh, I guess that's the end of the dream, Mr. Monroe. No, no. <laughs> we can still continue on. Remember, it is a dream. All right. And I have my loafers on. I'm in no... I can't climb. Grab them by the lapel and toss them <laughs> down. Um, but yeah, I'll try and find a, a place where it looks like it's a little bit closer, or at least the ground below is is uh, flat enough and... Right, so, so it, the hall narrowed to sort of a point where there was just this one pitch down, so you pretty much only have the 20-foot option. Okay. Uh, you could try to jump down there, just like in D&D, you know. Yeah, I, I think I'll make that kind of awkward, you know, you lay on your belly and you slide backwards, and then you kind of <laughs> hang from the ledge, and, okay, you know, someone that, that doesn't like falling or jumping, trying to minimize the distance it always almost leads to more I, know, damage. I know it's yeah. always worse but you know monroe oh. being who he is he's he's not gonna you know try and do a ninja <laughs> roll after he jumps or anything uh, like that. mr monroe it still looks like it's quite a ways down are you sure that's the most advised course of action i'll say nope and then i'm gonna <laughs> kind of push off a little bit <laughs> and fall okay so it's a risky undertaking now let's have a jump roll there is a jump yes if you can't tell, then that... I think it's one of the ones that starts a little higher. Mm. It might be 20 or 25. 24. Okay. Starts at 20. Oh, mine might be. Oh. Oh, that's right. I jumped out of the way yeah. at uh, the church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Lock it. <laughs> <laughs> or push it. I don't... Pushing it might be worse. No. Well, at this stage, you're actually hanging by your fingers or whatever. Yeah. And... It'll be a climb. This check is the one where you, you can get back up because you've thought better of the distance and you know you're going to take damage. So you can just push it by merely doing what you said where you're going to release it and you get the other roll, but the damage could be worse. I'm, no, I'm just going <laughs> to take the damage because Monroe thinks that this is like, while he knows it's a lucid dream, he still considers it a dream. He doesn't like fully yeah, when he doesn't it. understand. Yeah, yeah, he thinks that even if he gets hurt in the dream, he'll be perfectly fine when he wakes up. So. What's what are your constitution and like deck scores and uh, strength? <laughs> strength thirty, dex thirty, <laughs> constitution forty five. Oh, I'm more con I have more constitution than you do. Yeah. No, he, so you are familiar with your body in an academic sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> You've never actually moved it. Except yes, for exactly. Walking. That that's that's Monroe. Yeah. I've All read right. vast amounts of text on the art of <laughs> I should merely I should bend be my knees as I impact on the surface. Exactly, yes. So you take two D six damage. Oh <laughs> you wanna you can roll it. That could potentially kill me. Don't worry, it's only a dream. Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> Let's see if John's luck sucking has a two D six. Ooh, yep. Yeah, that nearly killed me. Uh, I'm at one hit point left. <laughs> All right, make a constitution roll. That would have killed me. Oh, yeah. All right, so echoing back to falling down a certain chimney in Peru, <laughs> uh, you impact with a snap, but much more pronounced. In fact, there's two of them. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And and you hear an exclamation from Mr. Grunewald, but then you wake up 
in your bed and it's morning. Your legs aren't broken, but you are very exhausted. Okay. Do I, am I still at one hit point? No, your hit points okay. are fine. All right. This is potentially worse for Monroe because now he does his uh, his theory about the dream world has been confirmed. Essentially, <laughs> yeah, that I'm invincible there. Yeah, well, it was so that initial sensation stayed with you for a good few minutes after you woke up. You know, well, to, to the point where you thought that it surely must have transferred from the dream world somehow. Yeah, it, it it's probably like those moments where if you've ever like actually broken a bone and and heard that snap anytime you see it on like a, a movie or like uh the ones that used to always get me were when like athletes would have yeah, the bones broken ones, yeah, yeah <laughs> you'd see it snap and like you could feel it all over again so since he's broken his leg before he's probably still feeling that that same pain yeah there's been a couple that really got me there was one of a basketball player that came down on it and it yeah. just drove the shin up past the knee yeah that one and then the other one was was it silva is that the guy's name where he was kicking a guy and his shin snapped in the middle mm. because it had oh, like, yeah, received a micro fracture crazy. Uh, and then he broke it completely and it just kind of it looks like a cartoon because yeah. it just kind of wraps around <laughs> the guy he's kicking yeah and the guy doesn't know he just broke that so then he tries to take him down to the mat and I mean, like you got now, you got sharp bone just <laughs> getting tore up in there. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah, he. I probably wake up screaming. <laughs> yeah. Good thing you're not staying at the boarding house, Johan did. <laughs> you should really try the um the bed post. <laughs> I recommend just gnawing on it. Yes, I recommend it highly. <laughs> but as you make your way down, maybe to catch breakfast or whatever, you'll still get like phantom pains and. Yeah. But the predominant thing is you're just very tired, very exhausted, as though you got no sleep at all. Are you going to take your breakfast here? Um, yeah, I might as well. Uh, uh -huh. While I try and shake off the dream, I'll probably keep it kind of light to just like either a cup of tea or coffee and something small. Yeah, and there's some eggs and sausage prepared for everybody to help themselves. And for the most part, they're Polish immigrants here, and they speak in their native tongue, although you do have a, a brief conversation with a doctor, or he claims to be a doctor. He says he was a doctor in Poland, but here I don't have the licenses. So, But it's all very light and whatnot, and uh, we'll pop over to Mr. Mueller as it is now fully morning. You are tired, but we're not quite at the stage where we're going to penalize you too much unless you got to do something that uh, takes a lot of mental strength i i like to picture this kind of opening on him like uh lighting his pipe and just staring at the sun as it's coming <laughs> up and you feel that like sand <laughs> in your <laughs> eyes yeah <laughs> but yeah that's how he'll greet the day is smoking a bowl of his favorite tobacco so had you guys agreed upon a time you were going to try to leave boston together I can't remember if Monroe mentioned that he was going to stop by the library first. Yeah, I probably would have mentioned that to him that uh, I did have some business at Arkham University. Mm -hmm. So probably meet him early afternoon. All right. So, yeah, I'll just kind of, uh, I guess I'll study the book. I'll hang out here and then I'll sit out for the train station around noon. Well, let's get you another day on there. Okay. So in your second day of study, uh, you go on to learn that it has that or it gets into different strange powers that the book begins to describe in various chapters so one thing that jumps out at you is a ritual evidently to 
commune with a deity called Yig, which rings a bell in your memory. Is that the snake? Yeah, the serpent people were supposed to have, wor- have been the worshippers of Yig. In fact, it talks about how Yig created them somehow in the distant past. So uh, what does this ritual entail, or does that require going deeper than I want to? Yeah, it would, it would require some time to study it. Okay. This is just kind of giving you an overview of different powers described. Uh, there's also mention of a, a window that can be used to scry to other places. You know, it kind of sounds, sounds like your standard sort of scrying. Mm. Also on the creation of zombies, uh, invoking demons. The term demon is used outside of the Christian context in yeah, a way. Like more like a uh, like a spirit or a other, yeah. just any other yeah. worldly thing. Okay. In some, t- some cases it's referred to as a, a jinn. Um, mm. There's one ritual called invoke child of the goat and invoke invisible servant. And of course, the one you like, mind transfer. And... There's also one called the Vorish sign, and this is a sign that that sorcerers make with their hands, generally before attempting to cast some strange spell or commune with some deity from beyond. Is it like to ward off evil type? Yeah, that seems to be its use. (laughs) Yeah, that sort of thing. Okay. And that one's relatively simple, but you you still see it would take, take some doing to get through it, so... Where are the how how bad would do the frayed ends of my sanity scream out when I look at that one? Vorish sign. <laughs> yeah, the the the, the ward. <laughs> yeah, I'd say pretty almost all of these ones you're probably having physical reactions to as you you read through them. Oh, see, that's the problem. Is this might be more help? <laughs> it now, might be worth the risk. <laughs> you do begin to see that there's a problem with the way all these rituals or spells are detailed. Is they start to have this rune-like writing universally to complete how it's done. So there's some other language that's being used here. It looks a bit like Druidic ruins to you, but not quite. Mm. Uh, those are called Oghem, by the way. Uh, it's a bit like that, but not exactly. You already failed the role, your mythos role, to recognize this in your dream the last time. So it's Aklo, basically. But And I think that will be good enough for now, and we'll jump over to Boston with Dr. Andrew's brand new day. <clears throat> All right, so um, today I need to track down some things. I need to find Whitmire, because I still think I need to get into that shop. So as we have established, you guys are using the Curioso as a point of contact, or a place to send messages, as most of you have agreed that the Hermetic Order is far too suspicious to be sending your messages there. Right. Because Logan Terry's a member. Um, as far as what's coming up today, you are expecting to be contacted by James Clark at some point with that discovery and right. potentially setting up a meeting with the Honorable Hugh Holland, but that's more in Whitmire's concern. But yeah, you can go to uh, to the Curioso, try to give a message off to Mr. Whitmire. Yeah, that's that's a good start. Okay. There. What are you going to send him? Um that that I'll that I need him to go with me to check something out. I'm not going to be specific. Okay. So, I guess a good way to do it is since you want to get it out there soon, you can send off the telegram first and then maybe catch breakfast in O'Lafferty's. Yeah. And say you'll be there. 
And it's like 30 minutes later, Mr. Whitmire, that you get a, a telegram at the hotel desk there. Who's this from? Uh, Dr. Andrews. Okay. Uh, he just says he needs your help with something. All right. Does it say where he wants to meet up? Oh, he, he said he would be eating breakfast at Orla- O'Lafferty's. Okay. This is all uh, pay for my room and... Uh, I guess they probably would have done that beforehand these days. I'll pay for the telegraph then and okay. head over to Lafferty's. So just as you're finishing up your hash browns, Mr. Whitmire enters the restaurant. Okay. Yeah, I'll wave him over. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Uh, I need your help today to track down some things that I figured out yesterday. And then I'll tell him the story about the tobacco and what I learned about it. The Latakia, which is the word that Charlie wrote in that diary with gravy. Well, as it turns out, um, it's added to a lot of blends. Apparently, it changes the smell and the taste. But there has to be a reason why Charlie wrote that word for us. And then as I was looking through my notes, trying to determine, you know, if there was something I was overlooking, we I saw Charlie's customer note where he wrote down all the different customers and their orders. And then one, one entry in that was um, customer X with the wrong shadow who asked about the dream castle, ordered something special from um, uh, Bry- Brychester in, in the UK. And now the guy that I talked to yesterday about that Latakia, he said that almost all the English tobaccos have this Latakia. So I'm thinking if we, Go back to the shop. Maybe we can find an order form or a document or something to help us determine who this customer X was and what he ordered from the UK and what's wrong with this shadow and what's the dream castle. Have you ever heard of that before? I haven't heard of the dream castle, but I met somebody um before I showed up at the church, it was, uh, went by the name of Mr. Blackman, and uh, he wanted me to retrieve the locket from Orrin B. Eddy, uh, the locket that we smashed. And his mm. shadow was wrong as well, as I actually have somebody working to try and restore that locket so that I can hopefully take it to him and then find out where he's going and who he's dealing with. But I would also Wait, so- be happy to help you. So the man that that has a bad a wrong shadow is he wants you to fix this locket. No, he wanted me to retrieve the locket. Uh, I'm assuming un undamaged. That's why I'm trying to re- get but it. But we've already destroyed it. But we've already already destroyed it. So, well, who is this? I man? don't know. Is he he offered so why are me you ha- uh, some of money to retrieve oh, the locket he- and. And I would assume that he has something to do with the uh, with the Church of Contemplation, or at least whatever they were doing. Well, what do, what do you mean when you say his shadow is bad? What's what is that about? Um, how how would I describe that, Travis? Uh, it had a like a, a serpent like quality to it. You know, it had a triangular shaped head that evoked the image of say like a cobra's head when the hoods flared out. Okay. Yeah, uh, but the it, it was uh, humanoid in shape. It had arms and legs. The arms were longer, longer than a human's arms, where they draped almost down to 
the base of the shadow. Uh, so physically, he looked like a man, but his shadow looked like a, a serpent, a snake. And you, you've agreed to work for him? <laughs> hey, it was a sum of money. <laughs> well, I, I was sitting in a in the uh, office of a hotel room trying to, to check in, and I, he came in and knew me. So there wasn't really much, many options other than saying, yes, I felt to get out of there. But that said, Monroe has worked for worse things than a snake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you, you deal with some of the people I deal with, I mean, weird shadows, you know, offing uh, entire families, Andrews. you know, giant squirming word. Yeah. <laughs> Drowned your children right in front of you. Dr. Andrews, you remember, uh, uh, Nervous-looking Whitmire creeping around the camp at night with a fat worm in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> Strange fella. <laughs> in fact, it was so odd for Andrews that he had to call out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's that there? Um, now, Whitmire, you grabbed that whole milk crate of the last order or the, the order that had come in last from Mr. Dooley's, and it's in the trunk of your car. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let... Uh, I'll let uh, Dr. Andrews know that, too, is that we don't have to go back to the shop unless you want to. But I've got the the last order from there in, in the trunk. Well, let's go look at it then. Uh, yeah, we can do that. Okay, so at Mr. Whitmire's car, you pop the trunk open, and there's that milk crate. And you see cartons of cigarettes and tins of tobacco and cigars. So let me. And there you see the Dreamcastle tin. Show it to you guys. Zol, we should immediately get this. Is there only Yohan. one of those? <laughs> Since he is our sanity. Yes, there's sink. only one. <laughs> Why um, am I a sanity sink? Because you're already gone. <laughs> so I just saw some <laughs> red letters. I didn't what pop up for you. I'll check. I'll put it out there again. Anybody else getting it? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Yep. Hmm. Okay, it should be in the two most way down. Well, sometimes. Uh, Roll 20, uh... Is a little weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see it's still sealed. It's brand new. Only a few scuffs from shipping across the Atlantic. <clears throat> I see. So is there any um, other writing on it, like made in... Nope, there's nothing else to identify. A tax stamp or anything? Where it came from. Okay. And uh, anything in this that would reveal who that, who that had been ordered for? Or like a manifest or anything? Um, no. no, it does. It doesn't have the, who the customer went to. The um, order form is just like ones we get these days, although not printed necessarily. They're just uh, a, a quantity and list of items delivered. Okay, because there, it came from a wholesaler. Dooley was the retailer, so he has the customer relationship. But you do know it came from Beechester because it's in. Charlie Murphy's customer notes. Right. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I think Charlie was trying to hint to us that whoever ordered this has some answers for us or is responsible. So we need to know who ordered it. The problem is the only thing the note says is customer X, wrong shadow, asked about Dreamcastle, and then put in a special order from Breachester, UK. So obviously Charlie noticed his shadow. So 
Could it be a coincidence that you also have been dealing with someone with a weird shadow? I mean, they do happen from time to time. Because <laughs> I don't think that it was a coincidence that he was in that in the shop, though, with the church being so by or so close by. And even uh, Mister Dooley's note or uh, journal that had him dealing with the the Corbett house and the church. It's all got to be mm-hmm. tied up together. All right. So how how should we proceed from here? Well, I mean, I've got I've got about a week until that locket is or the uh, yeah locket is supposed to be done. At that point, I was going to contact Mister Blackman um, and give him the locket. And I, I had hoped to try and trail him back to wherever he was going. As if you want, I could use a hand with that when it comes up. But uh, I think it would look pretty weird if uh, we just assumed this was his and gave it to him. And What, the tobacco? Yeah. You know, I don't think we should give it to him. I think that would tip him off. I, mean, I don't assume that this would be anything... Yeah, illegal being able or uh, seeing as how they they're just able to order it. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's important anymore as long as this customer X is the same guy you you've been dealing with. I think that was the point. I think that was Charlie was trying to give us a hint to who who is responsible. So now we just need to decide how do we determine if he was responsible. We can't go to the police. And say, we think this man did it, and look at his shadow. It looks like a snake. Uh, that won't be beneficial for us. We'll end up roommates with Charlie out at Roxbury. Well, maybe we should tell Monroe and see what he thinks well, about this. I, I had had some plans to go out outside of Boston to that uh, retired officer, uh, James Barrister. I'll see if I could have him shed some light on what this uh the redacted information in his police report was as since okay. he maybe it ties to that church and to this person right um and what was i waiting for today travis well i guess you have a couple of things you're waiting for the discovery from james clark on evidence and witnesses yeah they plan to call you're also uh had that friend of yours analyzing mm-hmm. the strange hair and wasn't there oh you wanted to ask about that strange geometric drawing that charlie murphy had done yeah well um i think it can wait so if i can go with you if you want yeah was, uh, i would appreciate the company uh, it's hit and miss how well i get along with uh police even former police so <laughs> right okay is it really ever a hit? Well. Or is it just a, a miss and a miss? Well, depends. earlier encounter yeah. was fine. Uh, they didn't try and blackmail me or <laughs> arrest me, so, you know, that's a win-win. He's just saying, keep your Roscoe ready, Andrews. Yeah. Gumshoe like you should be ready to start <laughs> blasting. <laughs> All right, so as you guys prepare to head out there, we'll see what Monroe's doing now that he's left breakfast at... The boarding house and on his way to the library i presume yep <clears throat> now i'd been given a contact um like eight game sessions ago <laughs> um, okay then i'm i'm trying to find his name is a a professor uh dr armitage of the university of of miskatonic university yeah he's the director of the orn library there and um 
<clears throat> so as you approach the Miskatonic Library or the Orn Library, as it's sometimes called, it's a pretty large Gothic and architecture building. Also of note is a large mastiff just chained up near the front doors. And uh thing I'm, I'm, that just struck me, I'm curious. The Orin Library, is it named after Orin B. Eddy? <laughs> no, I don't I don't think so. That's just Oh, too bad. Uh, <laughs> that would have been a, a great little tie in. <laughs> nope. Um just a coincidence. Um the Mastiff seems like a friendly enough dog as you approach and it's not even given enough leash to really come at people as the library is open to the public. Oh, uh, apparently, <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> Unless you're Johann Mueller. Uh, yes, but you could you you go inside and there are a few students there working quietly. And you can see a police officer is there asking a few questions of a harried looking <laughs> man. Uh, he doesn't look... He's not the guy you know, Henry, Dr. Henry Armitage. You're unfamiliar with this person. Uh, you also see a sleepy-looking Mr. I forgot his name now. Grunwald. There we go. You see a sleepy, miss, a sleepy-looking Mr. Grunwald. He's got a, a bunch of papers underneath his arm. Okay. Heading to the private reading room, <clears throat> which is where the SEU normally meets. Okay. Um, was he the one that I saw last night? Yeah. Uh, all right. I will. <laughs> you know, stop him when I see him and, and say, good sir, good sir. Yeah, he takes in your clothes and he, he looks shocked. Mr. Monroe. <laughs> yes. Uh, what are you doing here? Well, I imagine probably much the same thing you are doing research and, you know, on an investigation that I'm working on. Uh, yes, yes, of course. I. Sorry, it's just a, a bit of luck. I You were in one of my dreams last night. I know, I know. I, I I remember you from last night as well, and the journey that we went on. I I'm sorry that I I seem to have uh, rather acutely departed the dream, so I wasn't able to continue on deeper with you. Uh, d- did you happen to notice anything after I fell and broke my legs? As you can see, my hypothesis was sound. <laughs> see, yeah, I, I'm not even gonna gonna consider the fact that he didn't think of it as real. So he's like, uh, uh, this. I, I just called to you to see if you were okay, but then the dream ended for me shortly after. This is most unusual, and he goes to try to get like a notepad or something, and all of his papers scatter out everywhere, and he, he's like, oh, dear me. And he's like, this is something we should talk about at the SEU, SEU meeting. I've heard about shared dream states, but to have confirmation of one is is something else. Yes, it's uh, not the first time that it's happened to me. I had one <laughs> not too long ago in the same location, actually. <laughs> And I, I must, I must ask, uh, what is it that you're researching? Um, unfortunately, I'm just doing my coursework. Hmm. Have you happened to have run across uh, anything having to do with uh, uh, an a deity called Zagua? Zagua? Hmm. Can't say I have. What is that? Greek? No, 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 no. Uh, we're not quite sure exactly where its point of origin is, but it seems to have become related to the. Uh, dreams and and the location that we found ourselves in last night no 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 deities just the you know we had the attack yesterday morning and wait the attack yes at the library a a vagrant i guess attacked early in the morning before we were fully open in fact oh dear is everyone okay Uh, everyone is well except for miss pearson she suffered some attack portion of her scalp was cut and hair removed and uh, I'm afraid she's in quite a state. How horrific. But 
physically she she'll recover, correct? I, I think so. Okay. Well, thank goodness for small blessings like that. But yes, anyhow, they're going through or we have to go through and catalog everything and make sure everything is in its place. Apparently a book from the restricted collection was taken. Hmm. That might complicate what I'm attempting to do. <laughs> uh I came to speak with Dr. Armitage about some papers that, that he has that I would like to look at. Well, as far as I know, he is in <clears throat> London on in a conference, but uh the assistant director's here, Wilfred, he's just right over there and he points to the, the harried looking man who's speaking with the police officer. Okay. Um he appears to be busy. Is there perhaps one of his uh, associates that I might be able to speak to about uh, some of the research material that I require? Well, or there, perhaps you could help me yourself. You, sure. What are we looking for? If it's in the restricted collection, though, I'm afraid you will have to talk to Wilfred. Well, uh, what I'm seeking may or may not be in, in the restricted section. Have you come across anything in regards to the Church of Contemplation or um, oh the... I'm drawing a blank on it. Something of the starry eye. Starry the cult of the starry wisdom. The star cult of the starry eye. Hmm. Cult of starry wisdom, yeah. No, I got to say most of my work is um, compiling and annotating the notes that USEU members bring back. I, I can't say I've come across anything like that, but we can look at the what's held in the collection, the titles of the books, maybe something like will trigger your memory. or Yes, yes, yes. Okay, if so you... he takes you over to the reference where all the reference cards are. And you can see uh, the restricted collection has its own section. And then it's just simply a list of titles. So you have the Unas Spreklik and Colton, the Book of Ibon, the Narcotic Manuscripts, mm -hmm. the Liber Ivanus, Cult de Ghouls. There used to be De Vermis Mysterious there. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Where could it have gone? <laughs> Uh, an investigation into the myth patterns of Latter-day Primitives with a special reference to the Rillier text. That's the title. The Panopee Scriptures and the Necronomicon. <sighs> Bound in human flesh, baked <laughs> in blood. Well, the two that, that like immediately stand out in my mind are one, the Necotic Manuscripts, which the person at the uh, Order of Starry... Yeah, John Scott. Yeah, had asked me to see if I could acquire. Right. <clears throat> um, and then, of course, the Libra Ivanis. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to, I'll say, and I don't suppose that there's any way that we can perhaps take a look at these without going through the director? You'll have to go through the, the director. Mm, he is a tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> the assistant director in this case. But as you guys are discussing, you, uh, you hear somebody clear their throat behind you. Simple Tauranus. Okay, I'll I'll turn around. So you see an aging man there. Uh, what did you study? Is this where you studied, like, yeah, in the field? Yeah, um, archaeology mostly and early American. So you actually were in one of his classes. It's Professor Ronald Galloway. He's an expert in cryptography and Egyptology. So he taught some of your classes back when you attended university here. Okay. And he's like, Mr. Monroe, good to see you. Good doctor, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, I had the opportunity to visit your museum. Oh, very good, very good. I was actually just about to uh, tell you about it and let you know that you know I had taken some of the teachings <laughs> that you'd given me and put them to good use in gathering artifacts from around. He actually England. gives you a couple flyers back, and he's like, "I really <laughs> only need one." <laughs> 
I say, keep, keep, keep the rest. You can hand them out to anyone that, that may have interest. I would appreciate it greatly. Your affluent friends, perhaps? <laughs> yes, people with money that like to donate. <laughs> Bit of the superstitious. <laughs> well, I missed you when I was there. I guess you were attending to other business, but I was quite taken with your, your Peruvian artifacts. Yes, that was uh, not only a thrilling expedition, but eye-opening as well as to the uh, the nature of early oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one thing. It wasn't an artifact. It was a sketch. I think you were the artist, um, middling of middling ability, yes. I must say. But yes. but there was something in the sketch that uh, happened to cross paths with what I have been looking into. Uh, are you familiar with... Uh, an Egyptian artifact called the Shining Trapezohedron. Shining, am I? Can't remember. What did you? No, uh, you're not. Yeah, I don't think I. Will, oh wait, uh, no, no. It was in it was in Oren Bietti's mm-hmm. journal. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll say. Uh, actually, by some circumstance, I actually came across a reference to that very object. Well, I was just noticing that in your sketch. Your sketch that was a, a bas relief you saw in the pyramid itself. Is that? Uh, do I understand its origin? Yes. And the priests, for lack of a better word, were carrying this polyhedron-like shape. That, that's what it appeared, yes. Well, the way you drew it reminded me of uh, this shining trapezohedron I've been looking into. Here, you can read the reference material on it if you'd like. So, yeah, I'll uh, happily take take the whatever information he has. And what was his name again so I can... Dr. Ronald Galloway. So this is just a one-page reference on the Shining Trapezohedron itself. So it says, The Shining Trapezohedron is a strange bobble, a smallish gem-like stone, closely resembling crystal. It is almost completely black, but has some crimson striations. It has the curious illusion of shining with an inner light. The stone is a polyhedron with many irregular flat surfaces. It is roughly four inches thick and is usually found in a peculiar yellow metal box with a hinged lid. The box is decorated with unknown, dot-formed hieroglyphs. The shining trapezohedron is impossibly old, a gift from the black pharaoh of Egypt. It is said that the old ones possessed the artifact and mounted it in its yellow metal box. It was salvaged from the ruins of one of their cities by the serpent people, who took it back to Volusia. Then it was sighted over the years in various ancient lands, including Lemuria, where it was first gazed upon by humans, Volusia and Atlantis. After Atlantis sank beneath the waves, the stone dropped out of sight for a while until it was dredged up by Minoan fishermen. It was sold to merchants from Chem and later fell into the hands of the third dynasty black pharaoh Nefren Ka. After years of use, he buried it along with an enchanted mirror in a sealed crypt. Both were found by the evil queen Natakris shortly after she adopted the child of the masked messenger in the white desert. After her fall from power, the shining trapezohedron disappeared again and has never surfaced since. The insinuations of things in that one paragraph <laughs> are mind-boggling. <laughs> Sand check. <laughs> like, is the mirror that's mentioned, the one that, that we ran into, is, you know, and the fact that, well, okay, so I'll mention, like, after reading through that, that, uh, while we were in Peru, we came across a relief in a stone that sounds very similar to the the same kind of uh, iridescent um, black stone, and that was actually what the the relief 
was made of that I was trying to capture in my drawing. Very curious. The whole thing is a puzzle. There are terms in there that I don't understand their significance. So I wanted to know if you, if you're free of duties here come fall, if you might like to take part in some departmental research into the matter. Ooh, I, I must say that that would be uh, most enlightening. I would greatly appreciate being allowed to be a part of that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, thank you, Mr. Monroe. I'm off to teach my classes. Uh, my good doctor, I was wondering if perhaps you could uh, put in a good word for me with the uh, <laughs> assistant director. There's a, a set of, a collection of papers that's in the restricted section that I, I need to access for one of my, uh, my uh, current expeditions, one of my investigations into, into the past. Post-haste. Well, let's go make an introduction. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you, good sir. All right, so you walk up to this Wilfred, and uh, he's now free of speaking to the police officer, but he's kind of in that stage where he has too many things to do at once, so he's doing nothing <laughs> and being real stressed out about it. But uh, he, he said, or Galloway's like, Mr. Lanford, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Monroe. He was a student of mine in years past and now runs a successful Curioso in Boston. Uh, if you're ever down there, you should check out his display on Peruvian artifacts. Quite a find. I have not seen its like in any other museum. No, I'll, I'll take out one of my pamphlets and, of course, <laughs> hand, it, hand it to the man. He's like, I already have two. <laughs> the students, they were just handing them to me. But anyhow, yeah. Um, he's like, oh, well, nice to meet you. Is Justin's pamphlets like a mythos item now and that they're kind of infectious? <laughs> right. They just keep multiplying yeah. overnight. Um well, in any case, Monroe was um, hoping to get a look at the restricted collection, uh, and I'm putting a good word in for him. He was a exemplary student, and he's become successful in his own right. I'm sure you've heard of the expedition to Peru that was in the papers a few months back. Well, this is one of those expeditionaries, um, and he seems uncertain. He's like, I, uh, Armitage requires that he... Okay, people individually for it. But, as you can see, he's kind of wavering. Persuade However, time. it's going to require a hard persuade role, if that's what you're going to do. Yep, I'll give it a shot. Push it. That, uh, Get kicked out of this library to follow in your... Uh... But go ahead and roll your credit rating, too. That's not going to be a whole lot better. <laughs> Um, it's sort of a multi-tiered thing to get into this restricted collection. Follow in your mentor's <laughs> footsteps, Hal Monroe. Where is my credit rating? Uh, it's a skill. Yeah. They're alphabetical, there I believe. There it is. Alphabet well, sort of alphabetical. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, so you can see I'm, your style address. I mean, when you make use, you start saying, this is what I want to do, it kind of looks you up and down. And he's like, what, does a clown want to come and read restricted collection books? So this is where I'm going to use Father's Imposed <laughs> Suggestion. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, as I'm, you know, speaking with the man, I'll, I'll say it, it would be great help to me and, of course, to all researchers if I could have access to that. It <laughs> should only be for a short time. And I'm sure you're, you know, and this is where it'll come in, I'm sure you're, You'll be more than happy to assist in such a research. <laughs> okay. All right. So, in any way possible. Let's see here. <laughs> What's the MP cost on that going to be? Um, 
Yeah, that's just the lowest level. So five magic points is the cost. How many magic points do you have? 18. Okay. And then 1d3 sanity point loss. And you must succeed at a regular power roll. 1d3. And there's a little bit of a clue to your state of waking up is when you went out to reach out with your psyche to to smooth your request the way for your request. <laughs> That's where you realize why you're so tapped. Is it was it was a little bit more difficult to do that since the last time you experimented with it after since you woke up this morning. Okay. All right. So I lost two sanity. <laughs> okay. Um, power roll. Power roll. Oh, that's a hard power roll. Oh, Sorry. No. Uh, it would be 56 out of 90. Okay. So with successful power ro- roll casting a spell, you immediately get to see if your power increases. So you roll, you're trying to fail power for a power increase. Yeah, good luck, man. Now I get the hard success. <laughs> so <laughs> no, I don't, I don't get a power okay. increase, but <laughs> so yeah, it goes through and uh, you can see, you saw it in Whitmire when you successfully used it on him in the past, just this sudden desire to obey. He says, well, I'm sure with uh, Mr. or Dr. Ronald Galloway's recommendation, it won't be a problem. However, I must stick to the rest of the rules. You can only be in there for four hours. And of course, I will have to be present or one of my librarians. That should be, that should be just fine. Thank you. I, uh, as I uh, assumed <laughs> that you, being a man of great scholarly aptitude, that you wouldn't stand to impede me. <laughs> no, uh, of course not. I, I never seek to impede. We are here to help. And my, my good sir, have you gone through the restricted materials yourself? Uh, no, I'm actually uncertain as to why he keeps these tomes here, but he is w- much more knowledgeable in these matters than I am. Okay. Do you happen to have any... Any um, librarians or any anyone that has helped with them that may know a little bit more about their content and may be able to assist me in finding what I, I look for? Um, not that I'm aware of. He has kept them locked under lock and key for a few years now. Okay. But um, I have some matters to attend to, so I'm going to have one of my librarians come in here with you. And, excuse me. So that's what happens. The librarian leads you in. He unlocks a door. Some of the books are under lock and key like in their own little cages or glass cases. Make a spot hidden roll when you walk in. All right, spot hidden spot. Ooh. Dang. How'd you do? Extreme success. John didn't sap all the luck entirely. I know, that's why I'm saying it's me. It's going to be me. I think we've all had at least one of those game sessions where everything we try fails. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so as you look around the room, which is roughly octagonal in shape, and it's just a small collection of books. There's not even really shelves or anything like that. There's just little areas to read or lay them out. Uh, you look above the door frame behind you, and you see a strange star symbol, you know, carved in like an iron plaque installed in the wood there. You've not seen the like of it before. It's uh, five points, but at odd angles. And it has sort of like a flame, maybe, in the center of the star. Okay. But just a curious occult-like thing you've never seen before. But anyhow, he says, I'll leave you to it. My librarian is going to be right over here in the corner to keep an eye on you. I'm sure you're not up to anything good. These are just the mandates laid down by Dr. Armitage. 
But we'll pause with you and (laughs) jump over to see what what else Mr. Mueller's going to do. Oh, I'm basically like set until... (laughs) Just reading? Yeah, till the after, or till we get ready to go on that train. Okay. All right. Well, I don't have anything more from the book for you there. Okay. So then we'll pop over to the guys heading out of town. So yeah, it's about an hour's drive. Uh, You guys... (laughs) Come to this address that Mr. Rupert Merriweather had listed when he gave those materials to Mr. Monroe. And it proves to be a smallish home, the kind you would expect a police, a retired police to be able to afford on his pension. And it's kind of out in the backwoods in a way. Pull it up. But there you see an old man sitting on his rocker, just looking at the late morning sun and sky. As you guys pull up, did you know what kind of vehicle you drove, John? Uh, let me see if we put that down. Uh, Chevrolet, it says FB Coupe. Okay, so yeah, you break down this, the end of this dirt path in front of this house, and the old man doesn't seem too disturbed by your appearance there. He just waits in his rocker for you guys to make the approach. Yeah, so get out and... Uh, give him a wave and uh, as start to walk up, ask him if he's uh, what um, I think he was a detective. So I'll ask him, are you a uh, detective barrister? Yeah, used to be anyways. Yeah, well, still barrister, but no longer detective. <laughs> All right. Say, uh, well, my name's uh, James Whitmire and this is uh, Dr. Andrews. So uh, we we had a couple of of questions, if hoping that you might be able to to provide some answers for, um, you know, we know that uh, back in May of 1912, you and uh, you had done a uh, police report on a raid in a church of uh, the Chapel of Contemplation, and uh, we happened to to have seen that uh, police report. And there's some some uh, missing items in it. I was hoping that you might be able to help fill in those blanks. Yeah, sure, I can. I don't see that there's any harm in it. Every few months I get a new crew of people coming here asking about the Chapel of Contemplation. So you want to know about who was there? Yeah, um, who was there and and uh, and any, any uh, odd goings on that uh, wasn't included in the report. Sure. Well, there were some 30 members of the church there that were arrested, ranging from politicians to button men and brunos. The big ones were Councilman Daniel Ellsworth, Congressman William Murrow, and, you know, they had that vaudeville player. She was real famous back then, Lily Flores. That's the ones that were redacted out of the report. Everybody was arrested, but they all escaped charges except for Michael Thomas. He was charged with four counts of manslaughter. Congressman what? William Murrow. And who was the other big shot? Uh, you got Councilman Daniel Ellsworth. And then there's a vaudeville, a famous vaudeville player, Lily Flores. Yeah, they all got off. The defending lawyer, Samuel Blackman or something, he successfully portrayed the events as another case of authorities overstepping their limits and not respecting constitutional rights. Bunch of bull... Well, you know what it is. Anyhow, the prosecution backed away from charging any other members of the church and settled on just the ones that stuck to Michael Thomas. He was sentenced to life in prison 
my testimony was shredded by some young police officer that they got to say he was there, saw something different. Uh, who was that? I can't remember the kid's name. I'm sure if you pulled up the court records, they'd be in there. So what exactly were they doing in there? You can see it causes them some discomfort to sort of access those memories. So he's going to need a little bit more prodding from you guys in the way of a social skill role. Pull out the guns. <laughs> um, do you want to give this one a go? Yep. I think your persuade might uh, be a little bit better than the fast talk. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to persuade him to keep talking to it. Nice. All right. So oh, with that yeah. hard success, very nice. Well, we saw kids. You know, they were killing kids. That's what Commissioner Turgeson's suspicion was. That's what everybody was saying. Kids were disappearing. That's where they thought they were going. Uh, you know, they were bound and gagged when we went in there. Uh, they appeared to be sleeping and lying in a row on a table, surrounded all by all these robed wackadoos of the congregation. But something came up from the basement steps. It was a man, but like an old man, ancient beyond description, and his eyes, they were glowing yellow, real funny. I remember thinking it was like the light of the morning sun. I don't know why I thought that, but that was in my head. We were shouting at the congregation to cease their chanting. You know, they were Latin or something. That was my, what my partner said. I remember looking at Phelps and seeing that same glow in his eyes that was in that man that came up from the basement. And that's when he pulled his service pistol and fired a shot into the roof of his mouth. That's when all hell broke loose. After we exchanged gunfire with the rope figures up top and they fled underneath into the basement, uh, we saw a lot more roped figures when we pursued them down there. We heard that chanting again. We saw another kid, but he'd been ritually slaughtered. His throat and wrists were cut, and the blood was draining from the table into a shallow basin. Before I could take it all in, Officer Dunn screamed and started shooting. I remember looking at the far end of the room, and then, and then, next thing I'm running. Uh, at some point, I threw my lantern at an old bookshelf and kept running. All I remember is that whatever it was that was there, I didn't want it to be there anymore. I wanted to burn it. You ever get that feeling? Like you go in a room, cobweb touches you, you see a big old black spider up in the corner, just want to burn it down? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, that's what it was. I don't even know how to begin to describe what I saw. And he's silent for a time, sort of lost in thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him a few minutes here. This is what I try to try to puzzle some of this out. Um you know, we've been on to them a lot longer than these rumors of satanic practices and child sacrifice. They they always seem to avoid attention, that chapel contemplation. 1877, the police searched those grounds once before under suspicion of theft. They stole some Egyptian artifact from uh, the British Museum. We never found the item. False walls and secret doors were, were what we found, and that kind of took, when that went in the papers, you know, that made them bad in the public eye. Word of stage seances came out, and I guess they fell off for a little while, and it wasn't until I got around to them again that they started getting a good name with people. So did this shut them down for good, or do you know if they moved to a new spot? I mean, have you, have you, did you ever hear anything about them afterwards? I know you said Michael Thomas That's was a, in prison, but what about the others? They just faded after the raid into everyday public life that's the thing about this chapel it's like a black hole that information and good police work disappears into you know the the guy that told me about 
the raid earlier in 1877 on suspicion of theft. He died the same year as we did our raid, and everybody that took part of the 1912 raid, they died too. I mean, every one of them, except for Michael Thomas and myself. Where is where was Michael Thomas uh, sentenced to? Well, he got life in prison. I think they sent him up there to Concord, and he escaped three years ago. I guess there was some kind of explosion. Couldn't find his body, so they presumed he escaped, and four other men ended up in the loony bin after the explosion. Four other convert, convicts, as I hear it tell. Is that everything you guys wanted to know? I always wondered what happens to... The rest of you guys come up here and ask me about the old chapel. Seems like nothing ever comes of it. Who was the last people to come ask you? Just some college kids. I don't know. Been a long time since I was in school. Wearing their fancy jackets. All uh, Did their jackets have the... And I'll describe the Harvard... What What's that? Um, the crest? Yeah, that crest with the... the Where are you going to pull out your drawing, Whitmire? <laughs> <laughs> Sand check. <laughs> Um, yeah, he listens to your description and he says, yep, that's the crest they had on their jacket. That's the one. And that is where we'll have to end for today, guys. Uh-huh. All right. Thanks for Thanks, playing. Man. Appreciate Thanks. it as always. Thanks for game mastering. Yeah, thank you. Let's get those skill rolls and luck rolls. I don't right. think I had any this so, time. There was a newspaper clipping that Dr. Call gave us. Luck rolls. This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.